Merry Christmas. Good morning and welcome. Uh, if you weren't here at the start of the service, if you've come in since then, uh, let me remind you or announce that we do have a very special service this evening at 5 p.m., a candlelight service with lessons and carols, and we would invite everyone to come and to participate tonight at 5 p.m. And the benefits of music and of singing true things, we felt that this morning. So we're especially thankful for those who have prepared so well and who have led us today as we celebrate Christmas on this Christmas Eve. So for several weeks now, we've been preparing for Christmas. We've turned our attention to what has been called Advent, and we've sought to define our terms each week, that Advent is the, the arrival it's the expected coming of a particular person. And in the, in the case of Christian Christmas Advent, it's the celebration of the coming of the Messiah, the one who was promised by God to come and deliver His people from the guilt of their sin. And God had made that promise, we saw a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 3. God had promised that because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, because the whole world was thrown into ruin and the corruption of sin, God promised to do something about that. That He would send a Redeemer, one who would crush the head of the serpent. And then last week we talked about the context of Christmas. That the Christmas story that we know, that we love, is a story of light coming into the context of darkness and chasing the darkness away. And that is part of what we celebrate at Advent. Now this morning, I'd like to turn our attention towards what I'm going to call the expectation of Christmas. And when I say that, I mean the expectation of the people, the original people what their expectation of the Messiah was, and how disappointed they were. How disappointed they were. And yet how God exceeded their expectations and redefined everything. So the context as we begin our sermon, that the people of God, Israel, this first context for Christmas, they had great expectations for a Messiah. Great expectations. Now think of it. These people were an oppressed people. They were under the boot of the Roman Empire. And they could hardly wait for this Messiah, this one who would come and deliver them. I mean, imagine the way that they would think. They thought the way that you and I would think. We can't wait for the day that there are no more taxes no more harsh treatment of us. And surely when the Messiah finally comes, the kingdom of Israel will be restored and we will finally be able to flex in the earth. We will be strong and mighty and everybody will know it. The kingdom will come and it will come with a bang. Or so they thought. And our text this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 15 to 20. Give your attention to God's Word. The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Let's pray that the Lord would bless our understanding of His Word. Lord, would You again show us this morning what we have in Jesus, what we have in Christmas, what we have in the Gospel and the Kingdom, and how in failing to meet our expectations... You exceed them in every way. We give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Great expectations. The people had great expectations after all of these prophecies of the Old Testament. All these predictions and promises of how great a deliverer would come for Israel. The people had great expectations. But shepherds? Lowly shepherds who were not thought well of are at the heart of the story of the coming of the king. And Bethlehem, little old Bethlehem in Judea, and Mary, a virgin, and Joseph, her very confused fiancé, and a barn and a manger, a, a cattle trough, These are the people, this is the place, this is the setting of this this great news, which will be joy for all people. But the people with their expectations had not understood passages like we've heard from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. You see, the Lord had put the breadcrumbs down, leading them to His story. But as the story unfolds, it has some very unspectacular people involved. And what we'll see is that is exactly the way the Lord had intended for His story to be told The Christmas story is one of great expectations that were not fulfilled, but were actually exceeded in the very end. And indeed, that's how God always works. And I want you to think about that in the way of your own life. God's promises always exceed our expectations but we may feel a little disappointed along the way in getting to that realization. The people had great expectations. They had expectations that this Messiah, this promised one of the Old Testament, well, surely he would be a political figure. 
He will restore the Jewish kingdom, they thought. The Messiah, they thought, would surely be a militant figure. He will deliver us from this harsh Roman rule. He will get the boot off of our necks. And the Messiah, they thought, would surely be a popular figure. He will be a champion. He will be a hero. He'll be stronger than David, who had slayed Goliath. He'd be richer than Solomon in all of his splendor. These were the expectations of what this Messiah would surely look like. And in the people's mind, surely they thought something like, well, finally, we'll be like the other nations that we have envied for centuries. We'll have one of those powerful kings with a powerful military. We will finally make it, and it will all come with a bang. But the reality of the Messiah and the story that we celebrate at Christmas of how Christ came into the earth, the reality of the Messiah is that He is meek and He is lowly. And all of those expectations of the people went unfulfilled. The Lord did not meet their expectations. He did not come in the way, in the manner that they expected Him to. So the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth, think of how He came to us. The people and the place. Those shepherds, blue-collar, often despised shepherds. They're at the center of the story. Mary and Joseph, ordinary, unspectacular agents who are used by God in the Christmas story. And the place, little old Bethlehem of Judea. And in that barn, in that manger, which literally was a trough. And so we've always understood since the coming of the story that Christ came in what we call an estate of humiliation. That is, He came in a humble estate. He came low for us. And He came into poverty for us. The Westminster Confession says Christ's humiliation consisted in His being born and that in a low condition. Made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. That's how Jesus' earthly ministry began. It was one of humiliation, one of a humble estate. But then you come to Jesus' middle years, the productive years of Jesus' life and ministry, and you really see it's not any different. He still refused the expectations of the people. They expected a political figure, but Jesus in reality was apolitical was not political. Listen to these accounts from the Gospels about Jesus' life and ministry. John chapter 6. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make Him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by Himself. They wanted to make Him king because they wanted Him to have the power as they defined it. And He said, 
I'll have nothing to do with that. And he withdrew. He ran away from that political pressure and desire of the people. In Matthew chapter 22, you might remember that Jesus is approached and they're attempting to capture him, to trap him. And they say to him, tell us your opinion. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Let's ask him a political question, right? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And so they brought him a denarius. And, they asked, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this on the coin? Whose inscription is this? And they answered, Caesar's. And so he said to them, Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Jesus refuses to get engaged in these politics. He doesn't meet their expectations. He is apolitical. And Jesus, secondly, didn't come as a militant figure. He came and was meek. He was lowly. He didn't exercise power as they define power, but he showed meekness. And it's a very important distinction here, perhaps for our children to get, is to not mistake meekness for weakness. He was strong in his meekness, strong as a Savior. And then thirdly, to their surprise, he didn't come as a popular figure. And they should have known that and expected that because of the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah who had said to them, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. For He was despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Jesus met none of the expectations of the people. Not in the beginning of his life, not in the middle years of his ministry on earth. And then we have an episode at the end of Jesus' life. You remember that after his death and his resurrection, when his disciples were very confused about everything that had happened, We have this account in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus where Jesus walks upon some of those that would identify as His disciples and they're downcast and they're sad. Do you remember this? And Jesus asks them, why are you downcast? Why are you sad? And they respond to Him and say, Cleopas says, are you a stranger that you don't know what's going on? They've killed Jesus of Nazareth. And then He has this line. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel from their sins, which is a sentence of disappointment. Well, we had hoped that Jesus would be the Redeemer. And we're disappointed in him because he has not met our expectations. R.C. Sproul on this subject says this, Do you know how many millions of religious people on the planet today 
are not persuaded that Jesus was the one. The whole Jewish nation is still waiting for the Messiah. They have rejected Jesus and are convinced that He was not the one who was to come. Every Muslim on the planet believes that Jesus ultimately was not the one who was to come. And there are others looking for a hero or a heroine, anybody that could fulfill the role of the rescuer, the deliverer, the savior. They are not satisfied with Jesus because he has not met their expectations. Do you hear that? We live in a world that has been disappointed from the time Jesus came into it because God has not met our expectations. It has not happened the way that we thought it would happen. And that's our third point this morning. It's the disappointment of the Messiah. Which sounds like a pretty strange point to make in a Christmas sermon. But I do want you to hear that the Lord is not embarrassed or afraid to disappoint your expectations of Him. He is in the business of redefining those expectations, overcoming those expectations. Have you ever felt disappointed in God? Have you ever felt that He kept your plan from coming together the way that you had planned? That life's story, that life's circumstances did not go according to plan, and you are disappointed with Him. That's how these people were. That's how you and I can be. But Christmas should come in and interrupt our bad thinking and to remind us, you know, God has never met our expectations, but He's always exceeded them. He's overcome our expectations and shown us that what we couldn't even ask or imagine that it could be true, it actually is true. He has made it to be true. What if the answers to life's questions, that He actually answers those in a way that exceeds your current understanding of your situation? What if the gift that He gives is actually greater What if the treasure is richer than you could have ever imagined that it would be? Well, he would be the one who redefines your expectations, your hopes. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What if the Lord was actually exceedingly good to you, but somehow your expectations were off, leaving you feeling disappointed? Well, that would change everything, wouldn't it? Some of you have heard this story and a similar story to it. But in 2011, a gentleman by the name of Lauren Kritzer who had been a very successful carpenter and running a business in California, had a terrible car accident. And the result of his car accident was that he lost a leg to amputation. And not only did he lose his leg, but he lost his career and his ability to work. 
He went from being a successful carpenter with good income to living in a shack off of $200 a month. Pretty hard transition and change of life circumstances for him. During those years of living in a shack, his grandmother died. And when she passed away, his mother and his sister went and cleaned up the home and took everything that they wanted to keep out of the home. They then invited him to come over and to take anything that he could find that they didn't want and that he could have it himself. So he went over to his grandmother's home and Really, everything of value was gone, but there was one bag in the closet that had remained. And he pulled that out, and out of the bag fell two blankets. One was clean and pretty and soft. His sister saw it, who had already gotten most of the possessions out of the house. And she took that blanket, and she said, I'll have that one. You can have that one. The other one was not an attractive-looking blanket. It actually was very dirty. And he recalled that his grandmother had taken that old blanket and put it out on the porch when the family cat was giving birth to kittens. But it had remained in the closet and in a bag and a part of the family. So he took that blanket with him. It sat in another closet in his home for seven years. Seven long poverty-stricken, difficult years for this amputee living off $200 a month. But his life would change in 2011 when he sat in front of his television and he watched that show, The Antique Road Show. And as he watched The Antiques Road Show, he saw an episode that some of you have seen, and I think I've referenced this episode before, but he saw someone come on the Antique Roadshow who held up a blanket that looked an awful lot like that striped old blanket that he had gotten from his great-grandmother. And as he listened to what the television told him, he heard that that other blanket was determined to be a Navajo Indian chief's blanket and could be worth $300,000 to $500,000. And there sat Lauren taking in that news. He ran to the closet, he pulled out the blanket, he compared to what he was seeing on TV, but he saw that his was a little bit different. So he thought, well, maybe, maybe I could get five dollars or $10,000 for this blanket. This began him on the path of phone calls and visits to various professional individuals who could give him an opinion until finally one day he decided that he would, in fact, let this blanket be bid on at auction. So he goes to the auction, and it's an amazing story. The blanket would sell in 77 seconds. Think about that. 77 seconds. The, bid, the bidding began at $150,000 and jumped incrementally by $100,000 over 77 seconds. And the end result was that this blanket that had had newborn kittens on it 
sold for $1.5 million. And it is a rags to riches story. And I tell it to you because of the way it ends. He said at the end of all that, tears flowing, sweating profusely, not able to believe that he has gone from $200 a month poverty to more riches than he could have ever imagined could belong to him. That in the weeks and months after that event, every day he would do the same thing. He would pick up his phone and he would call the bank. He would call Wells Fargo Bank and he would listen to the automatic computer report of his current balance. And he said every day, I just would laugh out loud that it was true. And I just wanted to hear that voice tell me, you have $1.5 million. He said hearing that good news every day reminded me where I was and where I am, where, where he would be currently. This was back in 2011. Now, I could ruin the illustration and tell you what came of him and his money. That's another illustration for another day. But could we, could we conclude with this? Hearing the good news over and over again. Do you think he ever got bored with calling that number and hearing that he had $1.5 million? But you and I can act like we get bored with the message of Christmas, the story of Christmas, or that it hasn't met our expectations or that life hasn't gone the way that we thought it would or thought that it should. But can you see that God is the one who exceeds your expectations? Maybe your expectations have been too small. Maybe you've left Jesus in the manger as a baby and not thought about and marveled over the truth of the conclusion of the story. The truth that all things will be made right If your trust is in Jesus. Revelation chapter 19. The words familiar to you, maybe because of Handel's Messiah and the singing of it. But listen to these words as they point us not just to the first advent, but to the second advent. And are awaiting for the glorious return of the Lord Jesus. It says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following Him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of His mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. As you live through hardship, 
whether it's in this season or seasons yet to come. You can't pick up the phone and call Wells Fargo and be told that you have $1.5 million. Or I don't know, maybe you can do that. But what you can do is remember that your expectations of God and the story of your life fall far short of His expectations of what He has provided for those who trust in Him. Who you have loving you, laboring for you, is the one who has the name, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. You see, the Lord Jesus didn't meet our expectations at Christmas. He really exceeded them. Think about that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Christmas. And we think so little of it. We reduce it to lesser things. But Lord, may these songs that we sing, may they all draw our attention heavenward to your promises, your ultimate promises. And Lord, may we await your second coming in all of its glory, your fulfillment of Christmas and what you said is true of those who put their faith in Jesus. Lord, do this for us that we might truly have a Merry Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.